in Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending February the 19th. As you know, the request by cotton producers that USDA qualify cottonseed for the PLC and ARC safety net programs was denied by Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. So a congressional panel recently had Vilsack come in to explain why he can't legally bring cottonseed under USDA's main farm safety net programs. Gary Crawford has that story. The struggling cotton industry wanted Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack to make cottonseed eligible for the main safety net programs that crops like corn and soybeans have. He has said he can't do it, and he told a congressional budget panel his decisions based partly on a 2013 Supreme Court ruling. That is, if Congress knowingly omits something from an act, then the provision cannot be reasonably interpreted to allow the omitted act. Congress, when it established the 2014 Farm Bill, basically took cotton out of the program and put it into a separate program, the Stacks program. Basically, Congress was fully aware of, of the oil seed of cotton, made the decision to remove it and place it in a separate program. So you basically take the Supreme Court case, you combine it with the actions of Congress, and you've got a circumstance where we don't believe we have the authority. Phil Sike made it clear more than once. We want to help. This is not a question of us and I wanting to help. He said it's a question of not legally being able to. In Washington, Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well, during the recent cattle industry convention in San Diego, California, Cattle Facts held their annual Outlook seminar. Producers, of course, are well aware of the roller coaster ride the cattle market has been taking the past few months. And according to Cattle Facts CEO Randy Block, it's a ride that is sure to continue. Our price levels, with or without high-frequency trading, some of that, they'd be at the same price levels. It's just how we get there. So we've had a market that has been moving in here. It's been moving incredibly fast, and we're seeing $15 moves every 15 days. That's basically what we've been seeing in here, and that started back in August. And again, that coincides with a lot of the other things that we've seen in here, the fundamental underlying fundamental shifts that we've gone through. These are $200 moves every two weeks. Again, are our fundamentals changing that much? And, and again, this is where a lot of that conversation comes from as we look at it. Locke said this is the second most volatile market in history, and he explains the reason for all the volatility. One of the reasons I believe we've seen some of the increase in volatility is we all know that the cash market has continued to shrink. Now, over the last three years, we've been sitting here about 20 to 22 percent of the cattle are trading in the cash market. But I have identified the two key areas where we still have cash price discovery. We've got the northern region and we have the central plains region. These are the two areas where we have price discovery within our industry. We had a lot of heavy weight cattle in the north. We were shipping a lot of excess cattle out of the north to the southern markets because they were cheaper. The economics said to ship those cattle. But the point is we still weren't deriving any price out of those other regions. And when you see this kind of action, I know it takes a while to absorb it. Where We went from having two to three dollar premiums in our northern markets in the spring to six to eight dollar discounts by the time we got to fall. So what's that mean to you? That means that when you have areas where where you have inadequate price discovery, the market has one thing to do, doesn't it? Go to the cheapest market. And that's part of the volatility issue that I think that we have to address as an industry as we look at the way we're merchandising cattle today. And he explains what this means long term for the markets. We've seen a 6 to 7% increase in the number of cattle we feed in the northern regions. And at the same time, in this last year, we've lost 750,000 head of harvest capacity within that region. So the northern region is moving back to a discount market, and we need to be aware of that. It'll be a discount market here over the next several years. So this price discovery discussion becomes more important to you in all regions of the country as we make that transition. Again, that was Cattle Facts CEO Randy Block. 
Well, at a recent event, changes with how USDA works with peanuts was discussed. Tyron Spearman has more on that. At the National Peanut Buying Point Association annual meeting this past week, Kathy Sayers, peanut price support specialist with the Farm Service Agency, told the managers that last year was a tough year with all the changes at USDA. But she said, we made it. She listed major projects such as two new software systems being implemented, a new reporting format, new transmission IDs formats, new guidelines, and even a new handbook. Plus, she added five new handlers of peanuts this past year. She said new positive steps right now include the utilization of the commodity certificates for market loan gains repayments and the market loan assistance availability, which ended January the 1st. She said most of the software issues have been identified in the peanut network and corrected. She said the transmission failures have been significantly reduced and corrections occurring quickly. What is the concern of USDA this coming year? She said maybe the planted peanut acreage possibly increasing is a concern. Storage issues are a concern in having places to place peanuts. How many forfeitures will the government get? And will the FSA software be better in 2016 after all the adjustments? The payment limitation issue, she said, will not be a problem since Congress has authorized the commodity certificates purchase for peanuts. That coming from Kathy Sayers, peanut price support specialist from USDA. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. With this week's Georgia Grown Moment, here's Nathan Wilson. For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, Misty Friedman talks about the upcoming Georgia Grown Farm to Table Source Show. The Source Show came about as an opportunity for Georgia growers and producers of value-added products to meet with school nutrition directors and school leadership. It shows them where they can sell their product and it shows what new products are out there and just the goal of we produce it here, let's use it here. This year we also have a whole education side of it where we are asking teachers or a curriculum director or an ag teacher from a system to come and we have a lot of sources for them of how to use agriculture applications in their regular ed classrooms. The Georgia Grown Farm to Table Source Show will take place on February 25th at the Atlanta State Farmers Market. In order to participate as either a vendor or an attendee, register by visiting georgiagrown.com before February 22nd. For Georgia Grown, I'm Nathan Wilson. Kathy Isom tells us why the nation will be cheering for cherry pies this weekend. Saturday, February 20th is National Cherry Pie Day. Although February isn't exactly the season for cherries, it probably has more to do with George Washington's love for cherries and also being his birthday month. It's believed that pies arrived in the U.S. with the first English settlers back in the 1600s. They cooked their pies in long, narrow pans. The crust was often not eaten and served only to hold the filling during baking. The first cherry pie, as legend says, was invented by Queen Elizabeth. There are currently more than a 1,000 varieties of cherries in the U.S., and more than 70% of cherries produced are grown in the Northwest. While apple pie is still America's favorite, cherry is not far behind in the number two spot. But in February, it's number one. So go ahead, serve yourself a slice of pie for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to celebrate. And don't forget the ice cream. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Ever Grinder talks about GMO foods ruled safe to eat. Well, what do you know? Agriculture gets a favorable ruling from the Food and Drug Administration. Labeling of foods containing GMO items will not require a special label. More than one food group has been seeking such a law for a long time now. FDA put it this way, nothing substantial has been proved 
to show that plants in question differ from food not containing GMO varieties. The food in question present no more safety concerns than conventionally developed foods, you see? One farm spokesman proclaimed this ruling to be a victory for not just farmers, but for consumers as well. Basically, technology is changing the way all our foods are grown. And those changes are for the better. FDA said it will rely on that technology and other science to reach its conclusion. So, end of discussion. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Grinder, Southeast Agnet. And here's a reminder that National FFA Week, which always runs from Saturday to Saturday, encompassing George Washington's birthday on February 2nd, kicks off February 20th, and runs through February 27th. That and more reports can be heard from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.